Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Today, we are going to be recapping Disney Plus Day and then reviewing two movies. One is the new Western, The Heart of They Fall, which is available on Netflix. And the other one is the new Tom Hanks sci-fi spectacular, Finch, a.k.a. Turner and Hooch 2049, a.k.a. Tom Hanks in Fallout, which is available on (laughs) Apple TV+. Uh, this is our first recording episode after we have launched our podcast. We are on Spotify, Apple now, Amazon Music, Google. So thank you all so much for those of you who have been listening, and we look forward to meeting some more of you. Uh, Matt, what do you got to say? I just want to make a quick announcement here. First off, I want to thank everyone who has checked us out so far and made this inaugural week a fun one. As some of you know, this is a brand new podcast, and we're all new to the pod game, so I want to send a special thanks to our friends over at So Wizard Podcast for including us in the ritual known as Follow Friday, which, as I found out later, is where a show will tag a whole bunch of other shows on Twitter, for example, for the means of cross-promotion and building the podcast community. And thanks again for sticking with us. We hope you all join the conversation. Yes, excellent. Thank you all so much. Uh, Matt, why don't you now tell us what you've been watching our weekly watch list. So besides the movies that we'll be reviewing today, I did see the movie The French Dispatch with you guys. Mm-hmm. As you as you guys know, but the audience obviously does not know yet. Um, I also saw Eternals again. And I do have some follow-up points regarding Eternals that I just want to lay down for you for the Eternals haters out there, the points that we brought up on our last review that didn't seem to make sense that I thought made sense the second time around. Give them to us. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. First off, the whole plotline where Sprite loves Icarus, it was much more apparent from the beginning knowing that that was a thread that was being woven into the plot. Um, There was a scene toward the beginning of the movie where when Icarus first shows up you see Sprite go running towards him and give him a big old hug and then later on in the movie when they're traveling to Ajax's house you see her in the back seat with her head kind of gingerly resting on his shoulder in kind of like an endearing I guess loving way as we find out later I mean it, it is Richard Madden it's safe to assume that anybody is automatically in love with him I mean, true, true. I, I can't say I wouldn't be in the same position. Mm. Except not in this movie, because I didn't like him in this movie. Mm. But, I digress. Second, Cersei turning the Deviant into the tree was actually quite a significant point, although it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and everyone seemed really shocked by it. And that seed was actually set up sooner in the movie when she was talking to Dane about how she can't manipulate sentient beings. And then later on in the movie for her to do that exact thing to a deviant, and then even later be able to do that to the whole celestial, that really made that plot point pay off, in my opinion. And those are really the two big things. Uh, So French Dispatch and Eternals again. Eternals round Mm -hmm. two. Saw it in IMAX, which actually was even better the second time around. Tyler, what about you? Uh, I don't know if you guys seen it, but I saw the French Dispatch. Yeah, we did. <laughs> fun fun fact, each of us went to the same showing, but all separately. 
It was a coincidence. That <laughs> it's we all such a coincidence. We just school. ended up there. It's, it's wild. Well, well, we each had wildly different experiences as far as the movie going. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. And and my second one, I gotta I gotta hand it to Dexter. I was harsh on it last time. It's getting better. It's getting better. Tune into Dexter. New blood. All right, wonderful. Uh, I also saw the French Dispatch this week. Uh, lovely shout out to Tower Theaters in uh, South Hadley, Mass. Um, wonderful small theater that you should definitely go to unless you're these people so (laughs) i don't like to be like this but if we're paying money to go somewhere we're in a room with people it's lovely to share a movie with a crowd of people but if we are sitting and you come in 15 minutes late to the movie not even like the previews to the movie and you sit in front of us and you're shuffling your popcorn and then you're kissing each other and you're moving your head around when this movie has heavy subtitles, please just like either sit in the back or don't come to the movie. <laughs> I want to share movies with everyone, but th- that was that was a little absurd. And uh, perhaps we can have a segment one day about, about movie theater etiquette or our, our best and also, worst movie theater experiences. Yes. I'm also six foot over six feet tall and yet you were somehow blocking me yes. just just learn how to sit in a chair why are you just like sit, please? Yeah. Sit, sit back into the chair uh, uh my favorite part of that trip was the giant four foot by six foot old poster that i got to take for home for free yes that giant skeleton leg that is that is my Shyamalan's old in case anyone was confused yeah and we will be discussing the french dispatch in the next few weeks so stay tuned for that uh, I also, I'm going to make a weird recommend, but one that I felt compelled to do is that I was listening to some music on YouTube, specifically I was listening to Phil Collins, but I've seen this with a lot of other artists, is that in the YouTube comment section, people will like tell you their life story, like through this song, they'll be like, oh, I remember this song back in 1967 when this and this was happening, and a lot of them are like incredibly moving and I was just shocked and touched by so much of them. So if you're ever at work and you need to pretend like you're working, uh, jump on YouTube, hit up one of your favorite songs, and see if anybody tells their life story in the comment section. It is it is worth it a lot of the time. See, I have a different different uh, view of the comments, especially on songs. What is that? I just see like, oh, I'm 12, and I think this is the best song ever. Music today sucks. And I'm just like, oh, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's that that was definitely Ellie from last night in Soho. True. Exactly. Uh, and then I just want to shout out one more movie, and that is The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Uh, this is on Amazon Prime. It's directed by Will Sharp and written by Will Sharp and Simon Stevenson. This is about a real man, Louis Wayne, who lived in late 19th century England. Uh, he's famous for doing surreal cat paintings and actually helped to popularize the cat as a house pet. Uh, they were not entirely popular before then, so um, without uh, Louis Wayne you know, and other forces, we may not have cats playing piano videos, uh, which really lighten up all of our lives. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Claire Foy are really excellent in this. Andrea Riseborough is particularly good, although she doesn't really get enough to do. Uh, Toby Jones and then Taika Waititi is in this for like literally less than one minute and then he's out Um, oh so like the Suicide Squad so like the Suicide Squad yes exactly or uh, I don't know how long his role is in Free Guy I still haven't caught up with that one yet 
He was he was a significant player. I'll go. In that story we always love taika looking forward to anything he's doing uh this mm-hmm. movie has a really delightful first half um it has this kind of formal narration by the always wonderful olivia coleman that like is so proper but then it descends into like regular speech at like shocking intervals and it's pretty funny uh the production design by Susie davies some of the best i've seen all year and then it just i don't want to say it falls apart in the second half but it like really loses its spark uh, especially after uh, a certain departure, but uh, nevertheless, I would recommend it. The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Our ambulance countdown. We are 95 days away from ambulance. Let's go. I know. Ooh. Keeping the love alive. Uh, and then, in movie news, we get, we got a big correction to do is that last time we weren't sure if Bono was involved in Sing 2, considering that uh, a U- big U2 song is used for about five minutes in the three-minute trailer. Uh, but Bono is voicing Clay Calloway, who I believe is the, the retired <laughs> lion who's got to pick up the guitar after like 11 years of not listening to his own music or something. Or something. Or something. Yeah, we're still not really sure what happens in this movie. I could be missing something, but like the gorilla, I don't know why his hand is shaking. Like it just seems like he's about to form into a gremlin or something. But I don't, I don't know what that has to do with music. Uh, but he's about to revert, reverse anamorph. <laughs> yeah, he's about to turn. He's, he's. Everybody's gonna find out his secret that he is a human being. He is a. Taron Edgerton, I think, who plays Johnny. Yes, you're correct. If that's the right, yes. Uh, Squid Game is confirmed for a season two. Are you fellas excited for that? I mean, it was, I knew it was coming. They really set it up. So, yeah. I'm curious to see what the, how they do it. Oh, for sure. Did they do Leapfrog at all in season one? They did not. So, saving that for season two. That's when you're really getting to the. Big it's games. just going to be American games now. It's going to be American Child's game. They're like the Tide Pod Challenge. <laughs> oh God! There's the Tide Pod Towns, the choking game for a while. It's really. <laughs> be planking. They're going to do some devious licks. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and then we got a Stranger Things teaser for the new season. We have Eleven who is locked up in a room. Um, uh, is this intriguing guys it was a very sparse teaser I'm not a big Stranger Things fan I stopped after season one so mm. it's not really oh see I'm the opposite I am I am so here for it I've been waiting for this for like two and a half years or however long, long it's been since the yeah, last season you're the guy finished. that giant cliffhanger um, that I'm pretty sure we all could figure out that obviously Hopper's coming back but it'll be still interesting to see how and why and when they're especially as these kids are aging faster than they can produce movies in the time frame that or i'm sorry tv series in the time frame that they're supposed to take place yeah but they're they're primed for the 90s nostalgia so you know they got that going I, I mean they didn't set up it didn't quite look like they set up a time jump in this one but i would totally be here for that I think Hopper needs Black Widow to break him out of prison first, um, and then he'll be back. True, true. 
Uh, all right, so now let's recap Disney Plus Day. We got a whole bunch of announcements from Disney, Marvel, Pixar, uh, Nat Geo. All right, first off, we have Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is coming to us from Deborah Chow. Uh, takes place between uh, the first two Star Wars trilogies. And we are getting Hayden Christensen returning as Darth Vader. Are you guys excited for this one? Yes. I'm excited for it. I'm curious about Hayden Christensen as Vader. Like, is he doing the voice and stuff? He might be just acting it. Yeah. But then what's the point? It's just a suit. <laughs> it could be anyone under there. It's James Earl Jones in the suit this time. <laughs> and Hayden Christensen is doing the voice. But is this like, without the hello there meme, would this ever have happened? I feel like that meme carried this show into existence. Only God can tell us that. <laughs> uh, we're getting a return of X-Men 97. I love the X-Men. I think it, they are one of the most thought-provoking uh, superhero franchises. And I, I am pumped for this one. Yeah, I'm glad that they're... It seems like they're really con they're just continuing where the '90s series left off. Yeah, because it has such a cult following. Yeah, a lot of the cast is remaining. Oh, right, that's like excellent. a lot of them is returning. I mean, not remaining, but um, yeah. yeah, that was one of my favorite shows growing up as a kid. So I'm pumped. <laughs> it's gonna be such a nostalgia trip. Yeah, I love the original animation. Um, good to see Wolverine in his like classic suit. Not that I don't love Hugh Jackman, but it's pretty cool to see. Uh, next, we are getting Moon Knight, which is starring Oscar Isaac, uh, about a man with dissociative identity disorder who becomes the avatar uh, for the Egyptian moon god Khonshu. Uh, I, the teaser was very sparse on this thing, but I trust in I, I, Oscar Isaac. I trust in Ethan Hawke, um, so I'll, I'll check it out. I trust in Egyptian moon gods. That's uh, They haven't served you wrong yet, so I don't know why you wouldn't. I haven't gone wrong at all. Uh, we also have She-Hulk starring Tatiana Maslany. Uh, the teaser didn't really give us much. Gave us like her green legs, right? And then she does do the don't make me angry line, which I don't know. I wasn't thrilled with, but... It, the trailer does give us confirmation that Professor Hulk is going to be coming back. So I'm pretty pumped for that alone. I mean, cool, I guess. I don't know. I assumed that. I assumed we would see him again. We're also getting Miss Marvel, uh, starring Iman Vellani, who stars as Kamala Khan, who's a 16-year-old Pakistani-American um, who's a fan of Captain Marvel, and she is going to get her own superpowers, um, and it seems very exciting. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I think Tyler and I maybe weren't the biggest fans of the Captain Marvel movie, but I think this has a lot of potential. I find it confusing that, like, he's, she's a big fan of Captain Marvel, and in the MCU, Captain Marvel hasn't really done anything on Earth. Uh, she's a like... comic reader, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, I've heard, I, I mean, I'm not super familiar with the character, I'm not super familiar with the project, although I have heard mixed things about early, not early reviews, but, like, some of the leaks that have come out about this series have not been so good. Uh, well, didn't they change her powers completely, which is just odd to do with the comic book era? Yeah, stuff like that. Hmm. All right, well, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Next, we are getting Agatha, House of Harkness, as uh, a return of Catherine Hahn, which is always a good thing. Her WandaVision character is getting its own spin off series. Is this 
a necessary thing? Do you think they have enough to sort of wring out of the towel for a spinoff series? We'll see. Yeah, I think, yeah, I have to wait till it comes out. I really don't know what they're going to do with that. I, I love Catherine Hahn. I'm glad she's returning, but, like, I think it needs a good supporting cast. You got to bring in some other heroes, because no one's going to tune in just for Agatha doing things. Uh, I beg to differ. I would. <laughs> uh, we are also getting a new animated Spider-Man series, Spider-Man Freshman Year. It follows Peter Parker on his way to becoming Spider-Man, uh, which is cool. I feel like we've seen this a lot but yeah. i you know cool uh we're also getting echo who's are played by alaqua cox she plays maya lopez who is echo the deaf native american hero uh, apparently going to be introduced from hawkeye uh it's hey cool excited for that marvel zombies uh we saw the little iron man iron man doing his best gus fring impression um i don't i'm a little a little saturated with the zombie stuff right now. So I don't, go ahead. the Marvel Zombies comic, I just want to say this was it gave me one of my like worst memories of all time. Like it has one of the grossest moments I've ever like witnessed in any form of media. And it's I don't know if it's a spoiler. I don't know if it's, good. it's probably not gonna be in the show. But like it's basically Spider Man is not a zombie, and he finds Sandman who's not a zombie, and Sandman thinks he is, so he goes inside him and explodes him from the inside. It's just absolutely horrific. That's going to that must happen in uh in the new movie because Tom Holland's <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's really that's dark. Why it's brutal. Yeah. So, did either of you watch What If? What If? No, not yet. So the, the zombie episode and What If that one really it it definitely pushes the the cleanliness of of like disney content the whole series does like there's some real like gnarly parts i mean nothing gory or nothing but like the hulk explodes in one episode the zombie episode is pretty pretty uh gruesome so i i think it's in good hands especially if the anyone behind the what if, the zombie episode of what if is involved oh we are getting a what if season two so stay tuned for that uh, we're getting Ironheart. Dominique Thorne is Riri Williams, who's inventing a suit that is uh, supposed to be as advanced as Iron Man. We're getting Secret Invasion about the shape-shifting scrolls, who apparently have been infiltrating Earth for years. I wasn't aware of this as a citizen of Earth myself, um, but apparently it's an issue. We're also getting I Am Groot original shorts. I'm assuming this is Vin Diesel doing this. I don't know why you would ever say no to doing more Groot stuff. You say one line, and you get millions of bucks. So <laughs> It's going to be every line in the show. It's just him saying a variation of I am Groot. Speaking of which, the, they're going to have a Guardians of Galaxy holiday special. I uh, wasn't expecting this. I didn't know, not sure what holidays they have in the galaxy. Uh, but maybe they have Festivus. Who knows? Uh, we are getting... A Willow TV show. This is based on the fantasy movie uh, by Ron Howard. Warwick Davis is coming back for that, uh, along with an all-new sort of younger cast. I don't know if you guys saw the sort of like teaser where Warwick was introducing the cast. That was like one of the funniest things I've seen all year. I loved it. I loved that so much. I yeah. never saw the original, but I, I, the promo has me invested in this new one already so i like even if that show sucks i think it was worth it just for just for that please go see mm -hmm. go watch that uh we're getting sort of a 
little docu documentary under the helmet the legacy of boba fett sort of a, a non-fiction special about the origins of boba fett his legacy how he got so little screen time and so little dialogue but it's become this iconic figure um, i don't know if people would really be using the phrase bounty hunter as much if it was not uh, for boba fett we're getting zootopia plus a short form series based on zootopia you guys zootopia fans i like zootopia yeah me too I, it was definitely one of the best animated Disney movies I've seen in recent years. Yeah, I I thought the visuals of Zootopia were just absolutely stunning. I was blown away by just how much detail they put into all the different regions. Uh, I would say that and Coco were the most impressive I've seen as far as like big world building and animation. Uh, we're also getting Tiana. Uh, which is a long-form musical series, which I'm interested in, sort of musical series. Uh, in the series, Tiana sets off on a grand new adventure as the newly crowned princess of Maldonia, but a calling to her New Orleans past isn't far behind. Uh, so fans, fans of that movie will get some new adventures with Tiana. From Pixar, we are getting, I don't know who's calling for this, but we're getting a, new, a car series, getting cars on the road, uh, Owen Wilson and Larry the Cable Guy. By the way, do you think he has to sign his checks that way? Larry the Cable Guy? No, I, I think, um, I forget who told me this, but it's actually all just like a character. I mean, obviously it's a character, but like if you just speak to him out of character, he sounds totally different. Oh, I'm sure he does. Just... Yeah, so we're, this, this is going to be, I think, Lightning McQueen and Mater... Uh, who are going to travel the world of cars and show, show us some things that we've never seen before. So, <laughs> hopefully, well, hopefully things I won't have seen after either because I have no interest in seeing this at all. They have concept art and there are dinosaur cars, which I don't know why there would be like dinosaurs in the world of cars. There are, aren't people or animals, right, in the world of cars, so I don't know why there would be there dinosaurs. Uh, there's sort of like a Mad Max gang of cars. <laughs> what, what is going on? In this I mean, it, it gives a whole new meaning. Gives a whole new meaning to the Road Warrior, I suppose. Uh, and then there's another sort of still of just Lightning McQueen, who's just driving away from a monster truck in the wilderness. So I don't know if that's Bigfoot car, if that's Bigfoot truck, um, but cars <laughs> Wait, on the so road. So is Mel Gibson going to voice one of the Mad Max cars? Uh, no comment. I don't think so. I don't know if Disney's inviting Mel Gibson to do anything <laughs> as of late. Uh, they, should, they shouldn't be inviting Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> I mean, Mater has been such a star, I don't know how they can deny him. <laughs> oh, the worst thing Disney's ever put out was the character of Mater. I don't know about that. There's, uh... Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty bold take right there. It's that bad. There's a history at Disney of some some worse things. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I mean, sure. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. The most non-offense, the worst non-offensive character. Out there. We got hey, we gotta be we gotta be nice to our Disney overlords here, okay? I loved it. You're wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. I know. True. <laughs> it's true. No, I I love Disney. Uh, and a little teaser: there's gonna be more Cars talk on this podcast in the future. <laughs> Oh, 
yeah, I can't wait to announce Stay that. Stay tuned for more cars. Yes. Uh, we are getting Disenchanted. Amy Adams and Patrick Dempsey are returning for Disenchanted, which is the sequel to the hit film Enchanted. This is going to be coming in the fall of next year. We're getting a new Cheaper by the Dozen film starring Gabrielle Union and Zach Braff. Um, never would have put that couple together. <laughs> Is there one thing on this entire announcement that isn't a reboot or a remake of a Well, show? hang hang on, because I got more. We got Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, <laughs> we got all three witches coming back. So people are excited for that. We have the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild. This is Simon Pegg's character <laughs> from Ice Age 11 or whichever one it is. I don't know about you guys, but I dropped out of Ice Age long ago, even as a kid. Oh, I'm like, this isn't that great. No, I can't remember the last one I saw. <laughs> I don't remember anything about... I just remember Ray Romano. <laughs> this seems very in the tradition of the movie to animated series like the penguins of madagascar like these side characters that just got their own show uh that was on nickelodeon this will obviously be on disney plus we are getting a baymax show did you guys see he big hero six i did not i like big hero six a lot uh baymax is a large soft uh white robot he's very cute and it looks like he's the Michelin Man. It just—he does look like the Michelin Man. This show just looks like Baymax doing stuff, just like I, I'm here for it. He's just like Bob Honey in that way. Like, <laughs> he just do he stuff. Just do stuff. I, th- I thought the teaser looked awesome. I thought it did too. I, I I like Baymax. I like Big Hero Six. Uh, I think underrated at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting a series adaptation of the Spiderwick Chronicles. Uh, modern come of age story it combines a lot of fantasy elements there are a lot of fantasy creatures in it there was a movie uh, when we were kids that i think was kind of maybe gotten a lot of lost to time here uh, i liked it and I'd, I'd be excited to see more i always like that kind of stuff uh, yeah i remember i remember seeing that movie in imax at jordan's furniture <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> The, the furniture store that with an IMAX theater in it. Are you like pulling our leg right now? I'm so serious. The that, furniture store with like the place set above it, like yeah. that you crawl through. Yeah. <laughs> what is the store? I've never, <laughs> I've never been. <laughs> it was in it was in either Natick or Framingham. I forget which. It's like that out that way. <laughs> okay. I think it is Natick. I'd love to hear more Natick. about that another time. Uh, guys, prepare to be terrified, because in Disney's long new line of making live-action versions of their animated films, we are getting Pinocchio. And not only oh are we getting Pinocchio, but we are getting Pinocchio from Robert Zemeckis. I can't even imagine what mine stress is. That Pinocchio. There was just the Pinocchio movie last year. I've also heard that Guillermo del Toro wants to do a Pinocchio. People just cannot stay away from Pinocchio. Did the notes say Tom Hanks is supposed to be in it too? Tom, I didn't see that. Yes, Tom Hanks is starring. Cynthia Erivo, Luke Evans, Keegan Michael Key, Joseph Gordon Levitt. A lot of people Who's are Pinocchio? in this. I'm not sure who Pinocchio is. Timothy Chalamet? Yeah, Tim Chalamet. Uh, here's the thing is that I love Robert Zemeckis movies. I, 
I, I will uh, defend him, but I, this just seems terrifying. The original Pinocchio, Pinocchio, yeah, Pinocchio terrified me as a child. Get Caleb Landry Jones to do the voice uh, of Pinocchio. And we will get to him later on in the show. But that's that's coming, and it's coming next fall, so enjoy your restful sleep while you can get it. We are also getting The Beatles Get Back. This is from Peter Jackson. Uh, it's an upcoming docuseries, uh, obviously, about The Beatles. Um, I'm never, like, the biggest fan of, like, musical biopics or documentaries, but this this could be cool. Everyone knows the the word, the wise words. If it's true, it's crap or Yeah, from the King of Queens. Straight out of Doug Heffernan's mouth. I'm just going to say this now. This is a podcast that respects the King of Queens and loves it. Yes. <laughs> all right, we are getting Chippendale Rescue Rangers. This is starring John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. That's all I got to say about that one. Uh, on the Nat Geo side, so we're getting Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. This is coming to us from Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> a lot of Darren Aronofsky on this list. So we're going to get to that in a second. But from Variety, this is how they describe it. Chris Hemsworth discovers the full potential of the human body. <laughs> wow. That's, that's how it's didn't, described. Didn't Stan Lee have this exact show a few years ago about like, like what humans can do? Uh, I mean, where's Brad Cooper in this? He's the only Limitless one. Didn't they make a show on CBS? I think so. Movie? So in this this trailer that we get, Chris Hemsworth like says that he wants to live as long as possible, right? But then he immediately does like seven life threatening things, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't. The idea is it's supposed to make him stronger, I suppose. I mean, I'm a Chris Hemsworth fan, but I don't entirely know what the intrigue is here. This gets even so more. So what is he doing? Is he like traveling the world and like he's looking like at off of things people and... do? But... Yeah, he's on. How is that going to make him live longer? I don't understand. He's on top of a New York skyscraper while planes are flying at him, and he's also holding a woman <laughs> at the same swiping. time. We okay. So this is the part that I find baffling: is that we are also getting a series, Welcome to Earth, also. <laughs> Also from Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> they, they just handed this man a blank check and just said, put whatever you want. And this one is with Will Smith, who we will be discussing very, very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is sort of the same thing as he's just checking out cool places on Earth. It you know <laughs> comes from his Independence Day line, Welcome to Earth. Uh, I, I only have to assume that, I don't know which order it was in, but one of them, either Chris or Will, got the series first, and the other one saw that and was like, well, I want that too. And Darren was like, well, okay. That's the only possible explanation for this. From Nat Geo, we're also getting America the Beautiful. It looks like pretty America stuff. It's a six-part series. Looks excellent. Uh, we're, did you guys watch the trailer for Sneakerella? Unfortunately. What? Okay, so no. please give me your thoughts on the Sneakerella trailer. I I don't really I don't know what to think of it. First of all, we don't need another Cinderella adaptation right now. We're just oversaturated. Yeah. Um I I do like that they're trying to change it up, I guess. I mean, it, I mean, 
props for can you can you clarify what it is it's something it's brightly colored it involves sneakers it's something yes this is a about a young sneaker designer who like goes to a ball where like a princess of sneaker royalty is and he he does stuff just like bob honey <laughs> he be he do stuff he just, he just do, do stuff, stuff. Um, it, it does not look like something in my wheelhouse, but I'm not going to crap on it too much because, I mean, there's... Is this part of Disney Plus? Yes, it is. And I'm not going to crap on it either. Uh, it does seem in the tradition of Disney Channel original movies, uh, which, hey, they were an event back in the day. We we have Zac Efron now because of Disney Channel original movies. For, for better or worse there, huh? Uh, that's a discussion for another day i suppose I, i'm on the better camp but i'm just saying oh yeah i am too yeah we wouldn't have bad grandpa without or no that's dirty, dirty grandpa, grandpa. come on <laughs> There's too many too many grandpa movies coming out get your debaucherous grandpas and then like robert de niro had the war with grandpa right where he's like in a prank war with his grandson god yeah yeah we're getting a Proud Family reboot. The Proud Family louder and prouder. I was a big Proud Family fan back in the day. Uh, and I can only assume that this will be as amazing. It is louder and prouder after all. From Pixar, we're getting their first ever long-form animated series. It's called Win or Lose. Uh, it's not going to come out till 2023, so we got a bit of a wait for that. Um, but each episode follows a different character on a middle school co-ed softball team who are preparing for their championship game. Um, it is supposed to sort of underline emotion using animation uh, and that sort of thing. I'm very excited for that. All right, and then lastly, we are getting a Diary of a Wimpy Kid animated series. And not only that, I think this is premiering on like December 3rd. Not only that, the sequel is already announced. So they are already assured that this is going to be such a smash hit that there's going to be a sequel. I Full disclosure, I started reading the Diary of a Wimpy series when I was like 11, and I have not stopped. So you're saying Disney is so confident in Diary of a Wimpy Kid that they already greenlit a sequel faster than Warner Brothers did for Dune? In fairness... I think Diary of a Wimpy Kid. No, never mind. Never mind. I'm just—it's Disney. Does it need to be successful? They don't care. Like, yeah, just do yeah. it. So someone will watch. True, it. they're not really—they're not really hurting for money. I mean, they make Marvel movies yeah. every quarter. I mean, they did make like three live-action Diary of a Wimpy Kids, and I can't say that any of those were Oscar-worthy. So, who knows? This is in the actual animation style uh, by Jeff Kinney, who is the author and and illustrator of those. So. Well, that was Disney Plus Day. I think some things that I'm excited for, uh, particularly the Pixar series, and some things that are will be interesting to see. All right, we move now to our review of The Heart of They Fall. This is the new Western that is available on Netflix. It is directed by James Samuel and written by James Samuel and Bose Yakin, uh, who was the director of Remember the Titans, which is a football favorite from a couple of decades ago, but it is timeless. From Google, here is the synopsis. When an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison, he reunites his gang to seek revenge. Always exciting when the Western genre is taken in a new direction, and the harder they fall is no exception. But what did you guys think of this movie? I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was very well acted. 
to the point where the acting kind of transcended my issues that I have with the plot, which we can discuss later. I enjoyed the set pieces and the costumes. I thought it was all well thought out, and it looked really, it was just visually appealing. I also think, you know, the plot pretty much checks all the boxes for your typical Western tropes, but with like a contemporary flair as far as the score and soundtrack. Overall, it wasn't a perfect movie, but I did really enjoy it. Mm. Tyler, what about you? Uh, honestly, it was a massive disappointment for me. I love Westerns, and when this was first announced, I saw the trailer. I was so pumped for it. Like, I couldn't wait for it to come out, and just honestly, it just was not for me, I feel like. Um, Idris Elba, Lakeith Stanfield are two like my favorite actors right now, and I, I was so pumped to see them, and I just think they weren't given enough to work with. Idris Elba, he had a decent role, but I thought making him like a comically bad villain was kind of over the top. I was hoping he'd be more grounded. Um, and Lakeith kind of just, I mean, I guess his character was supposed to be like calm, cool, and collected, but I feel like they took that too far and didn't give him enough chance to really like act, oh, see, in I- my opinion. Like he just kind of. I was seemed, gonna say I liked Lakeith in this, honestly. I liked him. I just think he could have. They could have given him more to work with. Like I mean, I get that was kind of his character, but I uh, just didn't. I feel like he's done better before. I'm somewhere in the middle of you guys. Um, I thought there was a lot of impressive filmmaking. Something that's gonna make me excited to see what James Samuel has next. Uh, but the, the beginning of this is highly stylized. It has this really cool opening credit sequence where it sets up all the different gangs so you kind of know the lay of the land before you get into the narrative. It has a, a couple of opening sequences that are very tense and very highly stylized and I just thought the rest of the movie did not quite live up to it. I, I thought it just maybe set the expectations or the tone a little too high um, and then I didn't kind of get that feeling of excitement for most of the rest of it I would say uh, but there is a lot of cool stuff that is happening here a lot of cool blocking um, this, the violence in this was interesting because it starts off in a very stylized way and then kind of flashes in and out of that through the rest of it um, a little different than some of the westerns we've seen which I thought was cool um, but like Tyler said I I was mega excited when I saw the trailer for this and then I just didn't quite like it as much as I thought I would, which is a little disappointing. Um, but I really can't take away from the cool filmmaking that was done here. I think the tone was set for me in the first, like, it's kind of spoiler, but it's the opening when he shoots the guy in the church. And he just does, like, a backflip. And I was just like, oh, okay. This is not a serious quest. No, but I don't think it's necessarily meant to be. I, I agree with that. I mean, I get it. I get the stylized. I just, I, I, I just thought it was way too stylized at points where then it wasn't. Like you said, Mike, I agree with that. Like it didn't maybe, seem consistent. Maybe, maybe the reason I liked it so much is because I was listening to you guys talk about it because you had seen it before me, and I was going into it not expecting a serious Western. I was expecting something stylized, so maybe that's why I didn't. Re- that wasn't really a hang-up for me. But, I mean, this, like, I, I would say Django was pretty stylized, and I love Django Unchained. I really like that movie, and I think it did a lot of what this movie tried to do better. So, I don't know, like, I don't know if it was just the stylizedness of it, but I don't know, just something about it, just, it, I didn't get really into it. Hmm. Uh, I will say one thing that keeps you engaged, like Eternals, is the cast. 
Um, I think Danielle Deadweiler is particularly good here as Cuffy. Um, we have Idris Elba as the big bad Rufus Buck, um, who, Tyler, like you said, I it was like I couldn't figure this character out for a lot of it. I got some of him, but I didn't quite get all of it. The beginning does set you up to sort of know that there's going to be a reveal about him later on, but you're never really sure what that is. And I think uh, now might be a good time for us to get into some more of the specifics of the plot. So if you don't want to know anything about this movie, um, then spoiler warning right now, we're going to get to some plot content for The Heart of a Fall. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. So this starts with a a young family on the prairie, uh, a nice mother, father, and young son, and then we get a gunslinger coming in. He has very two cool golden guns here um, and he seems to have some business to take care of with the man Uh, and he ends up killing the wife and then the man himself and he brands the son by carving a cross into his forehead i thought this was an intensely uh, effective way to set up conflict later on because we know especially in the next scene when we see the young boy as a man, we know that uh, him and Rufus Buck, Nat and Rufus Buck, are going to meet later on in the film. And I was super excited for that. Uh, and Tyler, like you said, with the with the title, they have Nat played wonderfully by Jonathan Majors killing a guy. And like, like you said, he does a backflip after getting shot, which was fine. It's fine by me. Like you said, it's, it's worked well in other movies. But then it, that's not really consistent throughout the rest of it. So it just, I don't know, seemed like an odd moment of hyper-violence uh, when there wasn't. I thought the tonal inconsistencies was a bit of a, a bit of an issue for me throughout this movie. Right. How do you guys feel about the romance between Nat and Mary, who was played by Zazie Beetz? I, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, it, obviously they didn't really give a whole lot of backstory other than just saying, yeah, they used to have a thing, but now they don't. But they're going to again, and then they won't, and then they do. I mean, forget. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is that not like a one of the classic Western tropes of like? It um, it is yeah yeah, and then she gets captured later, and it kind of gives a motivation, I suppose. Um, which I don't know. I I didn't find the whole thing particularly effective. I did appreciate that as they were about to have sex, he like needed to, to make a point of like protecting his hat. Um, so hats before <laughs> sex is the rule uh, in I, the I, old uh, west. Yeah, I just on that. I think it was a little tropey, which I, it was my problem with a lot of the movie. I feel like it's just following so many tropes. That it, it tried to do things differently, but ended up just kind of following a lot of what's already been done, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree somewhat with that. Uh, There was a lot of cool new stuff, but there were just like a few consecutive shots of like people Mm -hmm. riding on horses, which is fine. I just have to speak up for horses for a minute. Enough with horses getting (laughs) caught up in human conflict. There are a couple of shots in here where horses just get shot dead for no reason other than they were being ridden. Well, Well, no, there were, weren't the Crimson Hoods, weren't they using them for cover? they were like in the middle of the canyon it does not make it any better i'm not saying it makes it better i'm just saying that it's not it wasn't for nothing i mean it wasn't i don't think it i don't think the horses were gonna see any of that money 
You think they were getting they were gonna be swimming in sugar cubes if, if... I don't think I don't think it was all for the give me give me a heist movie, give me a western where it's all for the horses. We get this really cool train scene, which is very prominent in the trailer. Uh, and a little cool thing is that the train was named C.A. Bozeman oh. for Chadwick Aaron Bozeman, a tribute to the late great star. Um, I, I saw that in the media. I was like, oh, that's that's definitely not a coincidence. I, I didn't catch that until I saw it in the notes here and then you just talked about it. But I was thinking that even before. Like, Chadwick Bozeman would have been perfect in this movie i don't know necessarily which part but he mm. would have been like icing on the cake like he would have been so good in this yeah um speaking of casting apparently cynthia arrivo wesley snipes and sterling k brown were set to star in these movie but uh they had to exit after covid delays um set production kind of back Interesting. I feel like we've talked about multiple Wesley Snipes projects that were supposed to happen but did not happen. Wesley Snipes keeps coming. <laughs> Please, I want to see more of Wesley. But we get this cool train scene. It's sort of our introduction to the Rufus Buck gang. Um, I thought it was very effective and tense. After sort of its prominence in the trailer where you get this really cool intro to Idris Elba, I thought it like was a little... I don't want to say slow, but not quite as exciting in the actual movie as it was in the trailer. Uh, I don't know. Was it effective for you guys? I agree with that. I think that went way too long with like the hostage situation and stuff. When it carried way too long, um, it just just for that payoff where they shot them all. I was just like, oh okay. That like, I, that was just kind of the first point where I'm like, oh, he's just like a bad guy. Like, he's no redeeming qualities, so he's just a bad villain. <laughs> oh, see, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I enjoyed it. I also didn't... I don't remember seeing the full trailer, other than just, like, the two-second little teaser at the beginning of the, like... Like they show on Netflix when you are mm. scrolling over the selection. So when I first saw the train scene, I really enjoyed it. I particularly liked um, Lakeith Stanfield as Cherokee Bill in that part. I just thought his, like, that was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, honestly. That was a showcase for him. And I'm not saying it's a bad scene at all. It's just, it's a fantastically uh, well-done scene. This is just kind of a, and I can't even blame the movie for this. It was just kind of one of those, like, trailer kind of ruined it for me, uh, which is why I'm not always a fan of of watching trailers. Um, well, what if the train hadn't stopped, though? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Different movie. Yeah, that's true. What would have happened if if the guy had just run over Trudy yeah. and the horse? It would have been another horse it's casualty. Confident standing in front of a tree. You think she would have like hiad at the last second and gone? Well, that didn't work. They would have just been on horses trying to catch this train. Just the Grand Theft Auto, yeah, to catch the yeah. damn train. <laughs> well, word would have had gotten back to Nat, and it would have been like, oh, Rufus isn't getting out of that train prison at all. And he would have been like, oh, okay, I guess. Let's just wait for them to stop at the next stop. We'll get them there. Uh, we have this town that the Rufus Bucking kind of overtakes, um, and we have... How did you guys view the fight with Wiley Esco, played by Dion Cole, who I thought was very good in this role. But 
when Rufus Buck like punches him and has this weird angular like stopped composition. I didn't I didn't know how to feel about that. I thought that was kind of an odd way to film it. I literally thought my screen had just yeah. like buffered because like the gun stops and then it's just him whacking. Like I don't understand why that was in so, there. I, I think I kind of zoned out during that scene because that was about the time that I fell asleep my first time trying to watch it. And then when I picked it up, it was just after that scene. So I think I kind of glossed over it. So I missed it. Oh, you're not helping your case with this movie. <laughs> It wasn't the movie's fault. It was great, and that's why I fell asleep and zoned out. No, I thought it was an interesting comment, or uh, excuse me, conflict. Um, but I, it was, again, like one of those things where we have the opening title where this guy is flipping over every which way after getting shot, and then kind of standard Western violence, and then that. So it, it was a little jarring. Um, but we have the Nat Love Gang who go to this town and they're trying to rescue Mary after she has kind of gone in as a undercover double agent sort of. That, that was one of the things that I did have a gripe with is her going in there made no sense other than to fulfill the trope of, oh, they need a reason, a, a damsel in distress to go rescue. On yeah. top of, you know. I agree. They could, have, they could have been smarter about it. Yeah, they could. I, I, I didn't mind it because it kind of set up this grand this grand meeting that happened later on. Um, but we do have Rufus Buck who's making Nat go rob this white town. Uh, I, that was a very white town. So what we actually get is we know that this is a white town that they're moving into so, to steal money. Um and everything is white. The buildings are white. The ground is white. Obviously, the people are white. It was impressive production design, I have to say that. But it was like this weird surrealist touch in a movie that was not surreal. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of tonally inconsistent and more jarring than funny. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Like, it just did not fit the movie at all. Like, it seemed almost like Blazing Saddles-esque yeah. parody. Like, it's a, it's a good joke, it, it, but it, I don't know if it's a good joke for this movie. Yeah, I, that's what I agree with. Like, it seems like something that would come out of, like, a Western parody, not a, where that the, the rest of the movie didn't really And they have another that. good joke in it where, um, where Cuffy is in a dress, and she's not used to wearing a dress, and she has a gun in it. And she's like struggling to get the gun out, and she has to like dig through nine layers of the dress. That was funny. Um, so that like the humor in this often does work, but the white town, I just I don't know, is it was just so unrealistic. Like <laughs> like the dress thing makes sense. <laughs> like just the town of pure white. Which again, I'm I'm fine like... with it. I like surrealist touches, but just in a movie that calls for it, I just didn't think this one did. What about the blue salon dancer? Speaking of like distracting almost I don't know if I'd call that surrealist but that that was one thing I wrote down specifically because I wanted to point out that that was very distracting in that scene I was going to mention that as well and they they were playing a a nice song like the music in this movie I know Tyler you're not a fan I really like it yeah me too I thought there were a few, few good songs here um, but why was Eiffel 65 not playing when that woman was dancing. <laughs> that, that would have changed my entire opinion. She's blue and abadid abadai. Seems like an easy fit right there. 
but it, are we talking about the music? Yeah, now talk about the music. Later? So, I don't have a problem with like the. I, I, I'm not expecting like period appropriate music in a western. Um, obviously, I think Django, which did have modern day music in it, once again, that's another aspect that I think did much better. I think the scene, I forget what song's playing when there's a shootout at Candyland and that, but I thought that was really well done. This music, it just kind of just like appeared over it. Like it didn't really fit, and that's why I think I had a problem with it. It was kind of distracting more than like really set the tone of See, the movie. I, um, I forget where I heard it. I want to say it was on one of the other podcasts I was listening to this week. Um, I wish I forget, I remembered who it was, but they were also talking about The Heart of They Fall. And I guess James Samuel had done work on. Baz Luhrmann's Great Gatsby movie. So, oh. I, like with, with either music or sound design or something like that along those lines. And he's also done a lot of, or he's worked with Jay-Z and stuff because Jay-Z was one of the producers on this movies too. Um, so from that angle, I can see why someone who's so musically inclined and so has the background in music and, and productions like that, I can see why the soundtrack is the way it is and i think it mm. hits for the most part it slaps if you will i mean i get why it is uh please don't i i, I get the idea it, behind it i just didn't think it worked. it slaps it's a, it's a, it's a box. i really liked it i thought the music was good um i also did like sort of i don't want to say an anticlimactic thing but in the very beginning we get this conflict set up uh, between Jim, who's played by R.J. Seiler, and Cherokee Bill, who is Lakeith Stanfield. Both of them want to be the fastest gun in the West. And then what ends up happening is that just Cherokee Bill shoots first. And we never kind of get the showdown that we're looking for. I, I saw that part coming when he was taking too long to load the gun. Oh, yeah. And that was probably yeah. one of the low points for me. Um, I mean, I kind of knew that that's how it was going to play out. Like, I had a feeling just because of how cocky he was being with the whole lightning with the Blam Billiams line. I know that's Tyler's favorite line from this movie. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of lightning with the Blam Blams. But just the way they were building him up as, you know, this cocky kid, you just you just knew nothing good was going to happen. Um, well, when Jim gets shot, it was, it was upsetting. I thought R.J. Seller was very good in this. Uh, when from the rooftop his his partner goes, Jim, I was expecting Jim to sit up and go, it's Jaren. <laughs> you know what would have been another good good uh, thing there if after he got shot? He's like, well, I can't get you yeah. out of this one, Jim. <laughs> so Neil Breen, Neil Breen reference there. <laughs> they subverted my expectations in one part of the scene. When he specifically loaded the bullet with his name on it, I thought when he like stumbled out of the room that um, he was gonna try to draw again, and um, what uh, Nat Love was gonna pull up the gun and shoot him with mm. that bullet. Honestly, I, I thought they were building up to that, but now he just kind of fell in the. Street. We get a great fight between Mary and Trudy. Uh, shout out to Regina King who plays Trudy. She was excellent. But there's one point, and this is a good fight. But there's one point when they go into. Uh, it looks like sort of like a clothing uh, building, and there are like these big vats of dye, these big colored dyes. In, and I'm like, why did nobody land in one of those vats of dye? Why is nobody just like colored in purple right now? We saw a blue, all blue woman already. <laughs> it's, 
She she fell in one of yeah, those. Yeah, that's why she wasn't actually blue. <laughs> uh, why is somebody covered in in color right now? But uh, that was a good fight. That was the only part of the that fight was the only part of the whole ending climax fight that I thought was well done. Yeah. I, I, I'm sick of movies, and this isn't just for this movie, this is for a lot of movies, but I'm so sick of movies where the, the, the main characters are able to just one-shot the, the, the henchmen, kill them instantly, and then as soon as the main bad, one of the main bad guys come in, they're shooting all around him and they can't hit him. Like, like Cherokee Bill was standing there, and he shoots next to him. I was yeah. like, come on. You just shot, like, ten people with, like, a single shot. You drew and shot. And now, all of a sudden, all the bullets are missing all the main yeah. people. I hate that in movies. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what I thought my favorite part of this movie was, and I thought this was very impressive, was that we get this final showdown from the very beginning. We get this conflict set up between Nat Love and Rufus Buck. Uh, Rufus Buck killed Nat Love's parents. Um, and then they meet, and Rufus starts telling this story, and I knew something was coming, but for the first half of this story, I was like, I'm not really sure where this is going or what it has to do with it, but it is revealed um, that Rufus's father was Nat's father earlier on. So uh, his father had Rufus first. He was not a good father. He was not a good husband. Um, and he left, and then he had a second family in which he had Nat, where he was seemed to be, be a very decent and loving father. And that is why Rufus came back to kill his father and get revenge. So they, it is the classic they are actually brothers thing. I thought it was very effective, almost to the point where it made me like rethink my whole opinion of the movie, but not quite. Oh, I, I, I thought the twist was great. It was... Yeah, I thought. Well, I was enjoying the movie throughout. I mean, besides a little plot things here and there, I was enjoying it throughout. And I thought the twist was just like the icing, like the cherry on top. See, I liked the twist. I just didn't think it held enough emotional weight in, in the scene. I'm just like, I don't care, just kill him. Oh, I, I thought it completely <laughs> did. Like, can you kill your your newly found brother, especially knowing that it's it's really great idea planting here because. It makes you think about sort of the, the the two sides of a single man, right? One of them, to one of them, he's a loving father, and to the other one, he is a horrible abuser. And, you know, from Nat, who, get, who got the mm-hmm. loving father, how can he reconcile what his dad did to his other son, right? Um, so I, I thought that was an excellent ending. Um, I think the best performance in that whole movie was the... Nathaniel Buck, take your revenge. When he just keeps repeating it, I thought yeah. that was really good. Yeah, this. My favorite line was when you know they're looking and they're like, "What are you looking at? There's nothing there." He's like, uh, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" <laughs> it it no. looks like Swiss cheese. Oh, sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> uh, and Nat does fake his death in in the end. Shout out to the Old West where it was pretty easy to fake your own death. I feel like now if you tried it, you'd really have to go to great lengths. And then like your kindergarten teacher would see you out in public and be like, hey. And you'd be like, I'm supposed to be dead. Quiet. No, just have, have him call the marshal and he'll be like, oh, no, that's not him. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't be him. Yeah, like dude has a cross uh, put in his face he's, he's not hard to hey, are you not love you got a cross on your forehead oh no i'm not oh, okay 
I mean, that could be easily remedied. Like, Mary could go in as a witness, say, yeah, I knew Nat. And they'd be like, okay, what does he look like? And she would say, he doesn't have a cross. See, I was thinking he just kind of, like, adds more to it. Like, yeah. he just makes it like a star. <laughs> like, oh, okay, sorry, I thought it was someone else. Uh, is there any sequel potential for this movie? I mean, they kind of set it up where they could sure. do something with with Trudy having survived that last fight with Mary. So mm. I'm here for it. I certainly wouldn't mind Regina King as a, a big bad or even... Eh, nobody was really a big bad in this movie. I, sh- I should stop using that term. Was, Everyone was, was a little complicated. Yeah, it was a bit morally ambiguous. Yeah. So yeah, I would definitely watch another one. I would watch so- anything else by James Samuel. This was actually, I think, his debut. Uh, I just want to shout out a performance. I, th- I really love Delroy Lindo as Bass Reeves. I, th- I thought he was one of the best characters. I think anytime Delroy is in anything, we can just assume that he is amazing. Mm-hmm. We move now to our review of Finch, a.k.a. Turner and Hooch 2049, a.k.a. Tom Hanks starring in Fallout. This is directed by Miguel Sapochnik. He directed episodes of House, True Detective, and Game of Thrones. This is the man that directed The Battle of the Bastards, uh, so he knows a thing or two. This is written by Craig Luck and Ivor Powell. And this is about an engineer living in a post-apocalyptic world who builds a robot to care for his dog once he has passed on. When a violent storm threatens their home, the man, his dog, and his two robots must find safer ground. Just to set up the world here, this is a world in which uh, a solar flare has destroyed the ozone layer. Temperatures are at 150. You can't go in the sun because it burns the flesh. You can only stay in the shade or better yet, stay inside. What did you guys think of Finch? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it was funny, sweet, sad. You know, it really had a lot of emotions going through it. Well acted. Um, it, it was such a small cast that was carried by them, um, and I think it was really well done. And it's kind of like a different kind of a movie and like a very overcrowded genre, the post-apocalyptic movie. And it was just that it wasn't like a lot that you see in that. So I think that was well done. I definitely agree. Um, Tom, Tom Hanks is giving his all as always. He's charming as ever, despite such a bleak background and a bleak setting. Um, I loved all like all his interactions that he had with his dog and the robots, and then especially when he's dealing with the robot Jeff's naivety from literally just being born, and he's trying to like learn the world without getting too much further into plot details than that. Um, I like that it doesn't dwell too much on hyper explaining how the world ended or how it became post apocalyptic. It just it's there. And we accept it for what it is, and it makes it easy to do so. The sets were well designed. I liked the atmosphere that it brought. It did a really good job at at um, portraying that post-apocalyptic world. I my only gripe about it, I wouldn't even say it's gripe necessarily, depending on if this is something you're a fan of. But it didn't feel as original as the premise would have had me thought. And what I mean, I like. <clears throat> what I mean by that is that it felt like an amalgamation of other Hanks movies, sort of a combination of like his buddy comedies and his Survivor movies, all kind of like melded 
into one with like a post-apocalyptic coat of paint. So if you're a fan of Tom Hanks, which I am, and you're a fan of him acting in something, especially like in a in like a castaway type scenario, then you know it's it's the movie for you and definitely go see it. But uh, that's the, that's my only that's my only real critique of it. I'll tell you what I love about this movie is that this movie always does just enough, right? It sets up just enough in a post-apocalyptic world where it doesn't have to sacrifice story for like a whole bunch of world building. Um, it does just enough with the characters for them to be believable. does just enough with action. I'll tell you what Tom Hanks is the master of, and he showcases it again here. He is the master of almost losing his stuff and then pulling back at the last moment. He's always on the verge of having a histrionic meltdown, but then he pulls it back and it's always so effective. Uh, his last speech in Castaway has one of the most perfect moments captured on film where he's just about to lose it and then he gains composure of himself. And he does this a lot in this movie. Uh, in this film, we have Finch, who is the engineer, who is living by himself. The dog is Goodyear. And then we have not one, but two robots. We have Dewey, who is uh, a speechless kind of like droid on wheels who just fetches and brings him stuff. Um, and then we have Jeff, who is the robot he creates uh, to take care of his dog, who does speak. Now, in a movie like this, things do not really work unless the robots work, and they do in this movie. Uh, uh, Jeff is voiced by Caleb Landry Jones, and I tell you, the emotions of both Jeff and Dewey are apparent in every every movement of their mechanical parts. You really get it when Jeff is feeling shame, when he's feeling excitement, when he's feeling rejected or scolded. It really comes through in the visuals, and I thought that was an excellent uh, notion, or an excellent component, I should say. Uh, and then we have this, this sandstorm that comes up. So Finch and his robots and his dog have to leave home. And then this turns into sort of a road trip movie. Uh, were there any parts of this movie that you guys, that worked better for you guys than others? I'd, I'd put it all on about the same level. It was like, it was good. Um, it was definitely one of the best movies I've seen this year, if, I, if I'm being realistic here. Great, not that it had a lot to beat out, but it's nevertheless it was still probably one of the best um so i think uh my favorite parts were definitely just the interactions between the characters and i thought the parts that didn't work well was like the whole denver scene better use of american pie this or black widow hmm. i don't even remember it in black widow it's they're both played in the very beginning of each movie yeah it was it was like uh oh in the flashback yeah. scene yeah Oh, okay. Yeah. This. <laughs> Tom Hanks is singing it. Automatically wins. Not, not David Harbour with a Russian accent singing it? I gotta say neither. I'm a little over American Pie in movies. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a great song. A, a little bit overdone. Uh, just like there are other songs. It was delightful seeing Hanks talk about it in while he was scavenging a store. Um, but I'm a little over American Pie. I thought this movie had incredible visuals. 
I love the book digitization of information where the machine would cut off the spine of the book and then it would be fed into the machine so that Jeff could like have all the knowledge of the world. Um, do you think that Jeff was like believably intelligent or did it seem ridiculous? I thought it seemed ridiculous to be honest. Like none of the things he knew really benefited in any way. Like he seemed to not know. I mean, I guess that was the point. It was like even with like a encyclopedic knowledge, you don't really know how to interact with be, like, be human. But I just thought it was weird because like it wasn't really necessary because they didn't really use it much. The fact that he had all that knowledge, he basically had to teach him in person. Right. Yeah. I think that was just more supplemental to. The fact that he's kind of designed to be an AI and he's supposed to kind of learn as he goes. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, for the purposes of a of a fictional movie, I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought it was, it was touching when he was learning to walk. And what I thought was most effective about this, and I will just give the spoiler warning now, we are now moving into plot details of Finch. If you don't want anything spoiled, here's your chance to come back later. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please turn back or accept the consequences. But I thought this set up a really touching, almost like father-son relationship between them. Um, we have this moment where it's almost like Finch is talking to his child and telling him about what his experience in the world is going to be about, right? He says, things will happen to you beyond your control. Raw emotion will find you, and how you will how you respond to it is going to define who you are, right? It's sort of like an acknowledgement of the fact that when you create another sentient being, whether it be by having a baby or by making an AI robot, you sort of have to recognize that like you're going to subject them to many horrors of the world, um, and it was just an interesting comment on somebody talking to their child about that. So I, I really like the relationship between Finch and Jeff. Uh, I agree with you. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I agree with that a lot. I think that was the great, the, the best part of the movie was that relationship of the father-son kind of thing. And like just him getting frustrated, like mm. you said earlier when he got so frustrated, but then he pulled it back. Like I thought that was really effective when he's like about to lose it because of the whole... You know, Jeff means well, but he's causing all the damage, and it's just really like Tanks realizes, like, uh, well, Finch in right. terms of the movie realizes. He has, he has the line, "I know you were born yesterday, but it's time for you to grow up." Which in any other movie with uh, most other actors would be the stupidest line that you have heard, but he makes it so endearing and so emotional. Um, and the interactions between them were like so fun and cute that like I don't often say this but I would have wanted this to like be a show I wouldn't mind having this in like 15 minute intervals every week just Finch teaching Jeff to do something new um, how does Jeff compare to the robot from Rocky 4 he wished nobody a happy birthday and he's, he's, he's much worse. he didn't wish anybody a happy we, birthday we could afford Finch we couldn't afford the Rocky 4 robot and Finch does not become, or Jeff does not become Finch's surrogate wife, as as the <laughs> that robot. That is true. Does that would have been a very it. odd dynamic at the towards the end. I um I didn't see Rocky Four. 
Uh, you're mm, you're missing some <laughs> things, missing, but you're not robot, missing Robot others. wise, you're not missing much. Robot wise, you're not missing anything. Boxing, okay. Cold War stuff, okay. Robots, <laughs> no. Good to know. Aren't they? Um, yeah. Actually, aren't they re-releasing that as like a Fathom event without the robot? Or they just did. <laughs> yeah, without the robot. I don't know. I've never been to a single Fathom event. I'd like to go someday. Jeff has four directives, I believe, and we get the first one, which is Jeff cannot harm humans, and he cannot allow humans to come to harm. And the fourth one is that he has to keep Goodyear the dog safe, and that supersedes all. I don't remember us getting the other two. What do you think the other two were? Like, cover your mouth when you sneeze? What What could two other robot directives of his life be? I'd say protect Dewey, but uh, that one kind of ran out. Halfway through. Oh, please don't remind me. It's like uh, leave the toilet seat down when you're <laughs> using it. <laughs> put it, put it watch out for headlights. Yeah, watch out for headlights. Yeah. We do. So when they go on the road, we do get this scene where they go into Denver. They take a detour in Denver. The reason for this is that uh, Jeff is driving and he knows that Finch is very sick, and so he knows that supplies are in the city. And they take a detour. Um, this is where I thought we saw just enough of like post-apocalyptic Denver without staying for too long, or like Matt, like you said, having to explain too many things. And I mean, I just have to say it. R.I.P. Dewey. Dewey comes upon a box of cookies, and he knows it's gonna be a sweet treat for Finch. And he's such his he has such a pure soul, Dewey. And he reaches for them, and you then you see a bear trap. And this is one of the most punishing things <laughs> I've seen on film this year, is that there is hang time between seeing that bear trap and seeing Dewey, and you know what's going to happen, and Miguel Sapochnik just lets you sit there and suffer through it. And I think it's cruel. An immediate brutal deconstruction of Dewey. <laughs> and then, yes, Dewey, it snaps shut in two seconds and Dewey is nada he's nothing anymore just done obliterated this was even worse than the bear trap in a quiet place part two <laughs> much worse much worse and that captured our beloved Noah Jupe and not even to mention this is the biggest loss we've had since sock monkey a couple weeks ago yes this year has been rough for non-human companions all right we we have lost Doodoo, we have lost the Sock Monkey, and now we have lost Dewey. <laughs> and I'm not happy about it. In memoriam. All right? all right? Hashtag all little robots go to heaven, okay? Because that's where he is now. Uh, but this this is an interesting detour. And I know, Tyler, you said you didn't like this part of the movie. I, I didn't I say liked I didn't it like a it. Lot. I'm just uh, saying it was a weaker. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a weaker point of the movie. I mean, I the Dewey was devastating, but Jeff's coat, that was that was styling, man. He had a lovely coat with a fur hood. And it was interesting because it sets up this terrifying like car chase, very subtle car chase that we get where Finch wakes up, he realizes they're in the city. Throughout the whole movie we learn that he doesn't trust people, he doesn't like to be around people. That's one of the reasons why he stays in this desert like St. Louis where he is. Um, 
and he tells Jeff that they have run into a trap, and so they have to rush out of the city, and we get this very menacing pair of headlights that are on them for a few scenes here. Um, were you guys tense at all during that? I was definitely tense. Yeah, for sure. I um, It was brooding, to say the least. <laughs> um, it was definitely tense, um, especially when he grabbed the gun. I was really, like, you really thinking, like, what's going to go down here? Um, I just, the ending of it is what I didn't like. Like, the, oh, they're going to get it, get him in time? <laughs> I just did not like that scene. So what happens is they just try to hide under an underpass, uh, but the RV is too tall, and so it crunches the top portion, and Jeff has to, like, push it in. Fun fact, this almost happened to me as I was on a, a math club trip in high school is that there were like seven of us on the bus and our our math club advisor we were going through an underpass and before we got there like well before the teacher said to the bus driver hey like you can't go under there the bus isn't gonna fit and i guess the driver just like ignored him (laughs) so we were driving there and like right before we were making impact he like stopped and was like oh i can't go under there and so we had to back up and block traffic for about 10 to 15 minutes just so that we wouldn't have gotten crushed all for all for the love of mathematics see that's why math is bad That is why math is bad. Uh, after we sort of get over this this chase, the movie really like comes into this more serene territory and kind of like the tension is over. Sort of the obstacle to get over now is is Finch's illness. He is coughing up blood throughout this whole thing and he knows that he's going to die. Um, he puts on a nice white suit. And here was my only question with the movie. He got that suit when he was 15 years old. Is it still fitting him? Apparently, maybe he bought it knowing he'd wear it later in life. So he's like, yeah, you know, I think I'll be this size. Yeah, it was like a perfect fit on... <laughs> he didn't say if he got it tailored in between, you know. Maybe every year he just kept tailoring it. <laughs> I suppose, but that that was my only like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't he eaten for so long that now he's the same size he was when he was 15. <laughs> Yeah, but like he didn't grow at all. He stopped growing at 15. It's it's definitely possible, but I don't know if I fully bought that one. Uh, but nevertheless, it is revealed that we see these postcards throughout the movie. We are supposed to believe that they come from people that Finch loved. And we learn that only one of them is really written on. Uh, Jeff discovers this. He discovers that it is, was written from Finch's father. And Finch explains to him that his dad left him at a young age, but that when he was 15, his dad invited him to San Francisco, of all places, um, so that he could show him this world. Is it possible that Finch's dad was Danny Taylor from Full House? It could, it could be. You know, it might, it might be. Is he the long-lost son of Danny Taylor? Could he be Joey's son? Could he be Joey's only child? Joey Gladstone. Was his name uh, Finch Gladstone? No, it was Finch Weinberg. <laughs> oh, yeah, Finch Weinberg. That's true. I think it was really Finch Gladstone. He was Stavros' son. <laughs> yeah, he was Stavros. 
Jesse's <laughs> sleazy cousin. I mean, you didn't hear all the times when Jeff would do something silly and Finch would go, hey, cut it out. <laughs> I forgot when he died. It's like, whoa, blow me down. And I don't know if you guys ever did Punnett Squares in high school, but that is an inheritable trait when you go cut it out. It's a recessive gene, but it finds its way in, into your DNA. But he gets, he gets a postcard from his father, um, and it turns out he never got to see his father. And it turns out he never really got to see much of the world. He went, he went to New York. I like how this film is bold enough to just trash New York. He's like, I got there, and it was loud, and it was dirty, and I don't well, like it. I would have preferred if he was Seattle. I was, was going to say, Seattle needed a break, so. Yeah. The New, York, New York took the hit on that one. Doesn't get Finch, Finch Gladstone's approval. Uh, It turns out that he has regrets about his life. He is this brilliant engineer, but it doesn't seem like he had many interpersonal relationships. Um, It doesn't seem like he really went anywhere. And the saddest part is, is that he knows that he's not going to make it to San Francisco. He knows he's going to die in that desert spot. Uh, He did this sort of like calm, serene and I, this went on longer than I expected it to. Did this last part of the movie work for you guys? I thought so. I actually really liked it because I think it was like he it set up with the, the his father left him and he's kind of like now he he's the father figure and like he did a good job and he's proud yeah. of how far Finch has come and he's like I'm leaving but I'm not, like it, like I've set up this um, like son figure to take care of like my family um and i Mm. think he's kind of like proud like he didn't turn out like his father and i think that was really well done that like he can die in peace knowing that he set up a good life for goodyear and like he set up jeff to be a good human good year the dog right we do we did establish that so you said he was, he didn't end up like his father, which is absolutely true, but he did kind of have a sort of this moral flaw in the story of how he actually found Goodyear. Um, he was in a grocery store after our, after the world kind of fell out. He was in a grocery store. He had noodles, uh, which you got to protect at all costs. There was a little girl and her mother in the store, and the little girl had a gun, and so Finch just hid. He wasn't going to harm him. He wasn't going to interfere. But then a man just, like, whips up with a shotgun, and they're arguing, and all three of them get shot, it seems. And Finch uh, considers this, like, his major flaw was his act of cowardice. He feels he should have stepped in to help to help the girl and the mother. Um, but in the girl's backpack, after all three of those people have died, he finds Goodyear. Uh, so it seems as though Goodyear is sort of his redemption act to make up for failing to save uh, this this family, this mother and daughter pair. The shooter survived. I, I, oh, did the shooter yeah, survive? He left, and that's when he came out. Oh. Mm, all right, well. <laughs> hmm. I should remember that. Um, so then after that, after Finch gets a very ceremonious burial or burial, as I should say, his body is burned in the desert. 
we finally get Jeff and Goodyear who reach San Francisco and then they're just like, all right, we're having a good time and they go to find other people. I thought it was a good ending, um, but it was kind of one of those like, all right, we're done, so let's just leave it at that endings. Did you did you want it to go further than that? Like, what we, what did you want as the ending? I don't know, so I really shouldn't complain. But at the same time, it was it was just like one of those endings where somebody just like feels at peace and they look up into the sun, and then the movie ends. Which I I don't know. After everything that came before, I don't want to say it was a bad ending. I just don't. I wasn't completely satisfied with it. I, I, the way I take it is that, like, the way I interpreted it is that kind of Finch feels like he's a coward for not stopping the killing of the, the daughter and the mother. Um, but he yeah. saved the dog, and in the end, he created Jeff. And that's kind of like he's going out to outreach to people. So, like, yeah. he wasn't cowardly. In the end, he's building someone who's... He built someone, raised someone who's now going to try to be the person that Finch couldn't be back then. So that's kind of how I saw it. So I like the ending. I agree. Um, pretty much the same as what you guys said. So this is, I believe, the second Apple TV Plus starring movie from Tom Hanks. Last year we got Greyhound. Did you guys watch Greyhound last year? I did not. No. This it's it's all right. It's a lot of naval jargon. Um, I thought this was definitely the better film, but this is his last few. He had Finch before this. He had News of the World, which I thought was another western. Uh, wonderful book by Paulette Giles that I thought was very effective. He had Greyhound. He had A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which he played Mister Rogers. He had Toy Story Four. Um, I think the last decade. For him has been kind of a mixed bag. He's done a lot of like big blockbusters. He's also done a couple of indie ones that were very good. Um, next, he's going to be in the Boz Lerman Elvis pick, which I'm very excited for that to see what Boz Lerman does for that. Uh, if there were a Moulin Rouge style with with Elvis songs, I I, I would be there. Forget Obi Wan. Put Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge too. <laughs> But I would definitely recommend Finch uh, for anybody who's looking for a very funny, touching, heartwarming robot story, which I know we all are all of the time. Every day. That's what I seek out. Every day. <laughs> all right. Please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts about The Heart of They Fall, Finch, or anything else. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod and Facebook Silver Screensavers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z, on everything. That's Twitter, Instagram. Um, that's about it. Tyler, what about you? I can be found on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Tyler Sutkus, S-U-T-K-U-S. I can be found on Instagram and Twitter, Michael underscore Gallat, G-A-L-A-T, and on Letterboxd at M Gallat.
Thank you for sticking with us. Next week, we will be discussing one of our greatest movie stars, Will Smith. And it's all going to be centered around his new movie, King Richard, in which he plays Richard Williams, father of Serena and Venus Williams, the tennis goddesses. Uh, that's going to be available in theaters and on HBO Max on November 19th. Uh, we're going to talk that movie. We're going to talk our favorite Will Smith movies and what makes him so awesome. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. So that's it. We're some kind of podcast. <laughs> Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel. <laughs>